Hi everyone, and welcome back to Everybody's Story. I'm your host, Emily Mikus, and thank you so, so much for being here. I first want to apologize for not having an episode out last week. Life has gotten a lot busier, and I really just want to put out episodes that I'm able to put the time and effort into. But I'm here now, and I'm excited to introduce Annabelle to the podcast. She has a great perspective on life, changing your path, and doing what you really want to do. But first, before we get into it, a quick reminder about my Buy Me a Coffee page. The site lets you easily donate the price of a coffee to help with podcast production costs. So please visit buymeacoffee.com slash everybody's story. It's really, really easy to donate. You just need a credit card or PayPal, and any little bit really will help me out. Okay, thank you so much again for listening, and I hope you enjoy the interview. So today I'm talking to Annabelle Bouguet. Annabelle is a step dancer and musician from Richmond, Virginia, who is currently living in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. After seven years of being a competitive Irish dancer, Annabelle retired from the fetch scene in 2017 in order to have more freedom to explore Shannos dancing, Cape Breton step dancing, and piano repertoire and accompaniment. Although she loves to perform, Annabelle's true passion lies in the social and communal aspects of music and dance, and she can often be found at sessions, square dances, and Kaylee's. So welcome to the podcast, Annabelle. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. You're welcome. Uh, I'm excited too, uh, fellow Irish dancer. It's always nice to hear your thoughts. So um, I'll start by just asking you kind of about your body image and your relationship with your body and what that was like kind of growing up um, as a kid and then maybe kind of into a teen and then we'll kind of go from there. Well, um, you need like a second to think about that because how far back, I feel like I wasn't first thinking so much about what I looked like or what my body was like probably until I started Irish dancing seriously. So um, when I was a kid, I guess my first Irish dance class was probably the really early 2000s. I must have been six. I danced for about three years and then quit. And I came back when I was 12 and I loved to Irish dance. I loved it so much. I did it all the time. I was always dancing. And um, I had always, I had kind of been um, a heavier child, like just as a numerical term. Um, And so when I came to Irish dance and I was doing it all the time, unintentionally, I lost like a ton of weight really quickly. So there's always that thing where people start commenting on your body after you go through a rapid change. Um, So that's probably where I first started noticing stuff. Um, I was I also had kind of weird things coming back to Irish dance because I had danced a lot as a kid and then took a break. I started as a beginner when I came back, but I was also not really a beginner. Like a lot of stuff came back to me. So I was kind of fighting to get out of the beginner classes and into like the classes where some of the kids I grew up dancing with were, I wanted to be on their level. And because I was really trying to improve very, very quickly, um, and was also going through all these body changes, I think I oftentimes associated weight with skill. And um, I think I kind of confused the two because they, those two things are obviously not um, correlated necessarily. And um, so I, even if it wasn't always affecting me in a negative way, it was kind of something I noticed like, oh, you're different because you started Irish dance and you took a break. You're different because maybe you're a little heavier set and these girls aren't. And because of that, you're not a good dancer. You won't ever be good, which is a very negative, negative cycle of thought. And I um, started competing, I guess, when I was 13. Yeah, that would have been around 2011. And um, I really, I, 
although in hindsight, I would say my favorite thing about competing was just that you got live music at um, a competition. I was very competitive for a good few years. And when I started, I, I didn't stop competing. So I took it very seriously. And by the time I was in high school, I was getting to open championships. I had transferred to um, uh, a school that was closer to my house. There didn't, they used to be Irish dance schools all over Virginia, but none like right where I lived. And they were very competitive. And that ended up really affecting my body image as well, or things with the uniform. So that kind of, it was like, I already had a weird relationship with my body and then I feel like that really did a lot. And then, well, I feel like we'll hit the rest of that in later questions. Um, okay. So I want to get into the like fitting into a mold sort of question. So I'm wondering, like, um, talk about it, like if you can in dance, but then also like, did that kind of transfer over feeling like you were kind of different and didn't fit in the mold? Did that also transfer into like the rest of your life, like your body or just in society feeling like you didn't fit in or? Yes to all of the above. Um, so I feel like maybe Irish dance, I mean, I guess maybe Irish dance now is more of a mainstream thing than it used to be. Um, I feel like at least when I was younger, it was kind of strange. And even if people appreciated that you did it and were fully supportive of you, you were still kind of weird. And I feel like I was also um, weird in that, aside from just like Irish dance music, I loved Irish music, Scottish music, anything kind of related to that. I was really into like knowing about that and listening to it outside of dance. And so my Irish dance friends didn't really relate to that. And naturally almost no one I met outside of the dance studio related to that. So I kind of felt weird because of that, where you weren't really fitting in with the Irish dancers in your class, but you weren't really fitting in with any of your peers outside. So that made me feel weird. Um, I feel like at the school I, I really grew up dancing with, I had a great sense of uh, community. I had really good friends there. And, uh, you know, at some stage we all hit an age where some of us were quitting because of life or moving, um, moving to different places, going to college, which is around the time I transferred out. And it was coming into a more competitive school that was a good environment for many dancers. Um, and I thought that's what I wanted, that I also felt rather outcast there because maybe I realized as much as I liked competing, maybe that wasn't my whole being, my whole self. And, um, you know, I missed some of the more, I mean, I don't want to say like I missed not having as many rules because that's not exactly it. But I don't know, I feel like I had to really fit a certain mold. And so many people, uh, that came with me to this school or were already there. They fit that mold so naturally. And I, it was like shoving myself into something that didn't fit. Like it was like putting a shoe on a too small of a shoe on too big of a foot. Like it just wasn't happening. Someone else could fit in the shoe, but it wasn't going to be me. So, um, yeah, that definitely, uh, hit weird. I mean, even things like class uniforms, you know, at a school, I read at other schools, I, I danced at a couple of more than a handful of schools actually over my time. So I'll try to keep things real ambiguous. So I'll leave you guessing, but like, you know, some schools I've danced for didn't require uniform and then others did. And so I guess I came into competitive Irish dance really seriously towards the end of high school with some body image issues already. And you get a teacher who wants a uniform of like, you know, classic black shirt, but like booty shorts. Now, I mean, I am one of those, oh yes, it's summer beach body. Everyone has a beach body. So theoretically wearing booty shorts should not have been an issue to me, but like it really made me, I was an awkward high schooler. I was uncomfortable with myself. 
I'm very comfortable with myself now and I still don't really envision myself wearing booty shorts. I don't know, like preferences. It wasn't my thing. Um, but so many wow. dancers, that didn't bother them, but it bothered me. I always like my, I, this is a very dancery podcast, so I'm sure lots of you listening will relate to having legs that are bigger or more muscular than the rest of your body. And I always felt like that was something I was super insecure about. And then like having to have booty shorts at class made me so uncomfortable. So I started doing stuff before class. Like that was ridiculous, like tanning or like wearing a lot of makeup. Um, and by tanning, I mean like in a can, not in a tanning bed. Um, <laughs> don't worry. I wasn't doing that. Um, and you know, like really great lengths. Cause I guess, I was trying to do like a fake it till you make it. Well, okay, maybe these things will make me feel better about wearing booty shorts. Maybe I'll look more like the other girls in my class. Um, but it just, it kind of messed with me, I guess, in that so much of how I thought I was being perceived at class was based on what I looked like and not necessarily my dancing. And that followed me into real life of being very concerned in other life scenarios, what I looked like, where, yeah, I might meet someone, they could look, they could look like whatever, I, whatever fashion or lack thereof that they, like whatever they want to do. And I wouldn't mind, but for some reason, I thought everyone was looking at me and judging me based on what I was wearing, what I looked like, how short, how, you know, not what my weight was. And, you know, um, I don't think people generally are like that in the real world, but I did find that oftentimes, honestly, to be true in a lot of my experiences with dance. Some of it might've been in my head, but I do think a lot of it was very actualized in my life. Like it was there. I think it's an interesting point you bring up of like, they equated what I look like with how I danced. Because I think that's like, um, I think a lot of people would say, well, that's kind of one of the same because dance is your body moving. And it's such a, it's such an aesthetic art form. Well, like certain types of, you know, percussive dance aren't as much. We can get into that. But absolutely though. Cause like, I mean, think of in this case, competitive Irish dance so much like the, you go to a championship, the judge is, if they, they might look at you, but they're going to think it's weird if you show up like not in the right dress or maybe with natural hair and you see that, you know, I guess you don't mind taking that risk when you're a very good dancer who might win and it might give you a little extra attention. Like, oh, she's dressed weird, but on anyone else, the judge might be like, who does she think she is? Like it is, there can be things based on looks for sure. And um, I was told once by a teacher um, after I danced at a, um, at a big competition, they were like, you know, you'd probably recall if you bought a new dress and if you dyed your hair, oh, wow, how did I get through this without talking about hair? I'll, I'll go back to that later. But, um, we're, and this was done before recalls. As it turned out, I was the only student from the school that day who recalled at this championship. So um, maybe the judges don't always look at what you wear, but in my immediate dance environment, it was made very clear that if you didn't invest a certain amount of money or look a certain way, you weren't going to succeed. And it was kind of painted in like, oh, well, were your teachers and we want what's best for you. And so you should invest $3,000 in a new dress and maybe lose some weight. And like, oh, because we love you. But like, that's not, that's not very loving. Um, hair, I mean, I feel like this fits into body image. It's not something like weight, but. Um, it's all appearance related. It makes you kind of obsessed or focusing on your appearance so much. Definitely. Yeah, so um, this is a podcast, so you can't see what I look like. But for those of you listening, I have uh, my hair color. It's brown, I guess. It's kind. Of, I guess it's dirty blonde, kind of ambiguous as to what color it is. We're not really sure. Man, I, I had a lot of Irish dance teachers that did not like that. They don't 
like quote, they don't think it's a real hair color where my, I had teachers that said you either need to be bleach blonde or black. Like you can't be in the middle. Like dirty blonde is not a hair color. So that was something where like, yeah. I honestly, I've never dyed my hair on probably out of spite from that where I'm, I look at things I'm like, Oh, I'd like highlights one day, or maybe I'd like to go red one day, but there's like this part of me that refuses to dye my hair from this. <laughs> um, I, at this stage is more of a joke than something that actually rules my life, but I like my hair. I like it. Um, but I would often do like temporary, um, washout dye and wear a wig that they wanted because you know, that's, I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to do anything differently. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It's weird. It's a lot of authority. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think it's all playing into this, like you said, fitting into a role and putting people into boxes. You're either a black haired dancer or you're a blonde haired dancer and you're either a, even like you're a graceful dancer or you're strong. I don't know. There's not a ton of room for, I mean, that's a whole conversation, individuality mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Um, yeah. Um, I want to oh, hear absolutely. more about like your time during high school and kind of what your general like body image was we covered it a bit with like the booty shorts and dance what about like just high school Annabelle well it's funny because I'll try to paint an image of what it actually like without my emotions was like versus how I saw it at the time like if you were gonna um if you I mean I was super active I was really athletic I was dancing all the time like when I look at like old pictures of myself like you can you can tell I was just working out all the time and like sometimes in a healthy way and sometimes not in a healthy way. Um, me and my friends from high school always joke though, we went to, um, an all girls school. So like we wore uniforms and, um, it was all girls and, uh, it was actually great, but it's funny because we all look back at what that was like in hindsight and go, man, I think everyone, everyone we knew, um, in the entire school, we can always think of like times when we probably all struggled with sort of borderline eating disorders, if not full blown, where it seemed to be like a phase that everyone went through. So I feel like I could fit that mold. I don't know if I can attribute all of it to dance or being in an environment like that at school where we were all just kind of feeding off each other, being hormonal in 15. It's hard being 15 because there was definitely a stage, um, my sophomore, my 10th grade high school, where I definitely was under eating, um, and I was dancing all the time. And I don't know what snapped me out of that. It clearly didn't end up being a huge thing that I needed like an intervention for. I, on my own, I guess I was like, oh, like this is dumb, please eat. I found myself waking up in the middle of the night to like eat whatever I'd set out to have like cereal for breakfast the next morning if I had like packed it in a bag. Cause I'd wake up early and dance and want to eat something. Like I was like sleepwalking to eat cause I was so hungry. And I think eventually that happened enough where I was like, okay, this isn't healthy. But naturally a lot of people who struggle with eating disorders in high school do need more help than that. And I, um, it just happened to be how it worked out for me. So ideally if you're doing that, you probably should seek help. I was fine without it in that case, but do you ever have like nagging thoughts still of like, should eat that, shouldn't, sort of like disordered eating thoughts? Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, I feel like it's funny because I know there was like all of these memes and jokes about like quarantine and like gaining like the COVID-19, which honestly, that's a whole discussion for that being problematic for other reasons. But you know, that's a thing right now. And it's funny because I feel like right now I'm not 
well, classes haven't started yet. I'm not in school. Um, I know a lot of ways there's not a lot of pressure. All my summer gigs fell through. Um, and I feel like right now is probably the first time in ages where I've really gotten to live a balanced and nice balanced life. And this includes food as well, where like, yeah, there have been some days where I'm in quarantine and I'm going to eat dessert again because I can. But in general, like, I haven't had like any weight fluctuations. I've been trying to make like without counting calories or anything, trying to make like informed decisions about what I eat. And it doesn't feel restrictive, but it also hasn't been going off the walls, doing whatever I want all the time. Just because it feels good. So it feels very balanced, like a treat here and doing something normal and not a treat there. And um, yeah, and in high school, I did a lot of like no bread diets. I ate a lot of vegetables, so it wasn't necessarily restrictive eating. I would eat a ton of vegetables, like stuff. Right, but restricting certain food groups, it's restricted, yeah. But restricting food groups, I think it was my junior year of, um, for those of you who aren't American, that would have been 11th grade. Um, I was training for the North American Nationals for the first time, and I was serious about it. I wanted to recall, and I did recall, but I think I still could have done it without doing some of the things that I did. So I basically, for like months, did not eat dessert, didn't eat bread, um, and it kind of created... I don't want to throw the word like binge around when like maybe that's too strong, but it was like this thing of either you were being completely healthy or it was like, today's a cheat day and it's like you're off the rails. And I feel like that was a mindset that I haven't broken entirely until recently. I don't feel like that bothers me now, like at all, but like that's recent. And that was in 2015 and the year is currently 2020. So that was a solid five years about to get to this stage, but that absolutely into things. How do you think you got through the, through that? You know, I was about to say, I don't know, but time, time for sure. Um, honestly, how I got through it, I wish I could offer better advice if there's any competitive Irish dancers that this resonates with. I quit competing and that it didn't fix everything right away, but like it fixed almost everything in good time. So yeah, it's just my, my life is so much better now. And I know that there's so many people who are happy competing or happy, like yeah. making changes to be a more healthy, competitive dancer. But like for me, I don't know if I could have done it without cutting the cord entirely. Like I will not go back. I will not compete again. Everyone's like, oh, like, are you going to like make a comeback? No, no. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get a bit more into competition uh, when you were in it and we talked a bit about, um, before the interview about like perfectionism, burnout, a bit of that stuff. Um, I want to hear kind of your take on that and, um, yeah, what, how that kind of happened for you. Well, it's funny cause you just heard a lot about like my eating stuff and as much as that was like a thing with my body image and my dancing, um, that was there, but I would say more severely, um, burnout and perfectionism affected me actually out of everything. And it, perfectionism can kind of encompass a lot of things. So I think that feeds into yeah. diet as well. But I guess the way I saw things was I kind of came into competing at, I'm about to say an older age, 13 isn't old, but 13 felt old when everyone I was dancing around had been competing since they were like seven or eight. Um, So I kind of came into things late. I always felt like I was making up for lost time. I maybe didn't look the way I thought I should look. So 
the way I viewed it was that if I worked really hard and that's like, you know, maybe I was a terrible dancer, maybe I was terrible at competitions, like maybe it didn't look good, but if I worked harder than everyone else, at least maybe people would respect me or I would respect myself or maybe I would be good enough to beat people anyway. And um, so there's also comparison in that too. Um, gosh, I'm probably talking too fast. I get really excited about this stuff. <laughs> no, you're not talking too fast at all. Um, so like as a way to like prove yourself almost? Yeah, where I was like, if I can't have anything else, I'll be the hardest worker. Like I wanted to win at something. And if it wasn't at a competition, then it would be in being the hardest worker. And it's funny because I think that did instill a lot of good work ethic in me. I still find a lot of benefits from that thinking, but at some stage that's really destructive because if the valuing yourself on by how hard you work alone is just as bad as valuing yourself on your results alone. Like it's just another thing where it's not like, Oh, I could like me because I'm me. It's, you know, I like me because I work harder than everyone else. Right. It's still like this external form of validation. I mean, it is coming from you, but still it's, Mm -hmm. then you're beating yourself up for one reason or the other, whether it's you were lazy that day or you relaxed a bit more that day. Yeah. Well, that's funny because it's um, another thing that I think being stuck inside for coronavirus has been good for where it's like, or um, even now, like I have a job, I'm not around the dancing and the music, like socially that I normally am. And so, you know, sometimes I don't dance or I honestly, I know this is like a body podcast, but I haven't been playing piano as much as I normally do. And so I am sometimes tempted to be like, oh, well, you're not like a real musician here. You're worthless because you've been working as hard, but like, no, you have to be forgiving with yourself on stuff like that, because as good as it is to work for something, that's not how you base like an appreciation for yourself or like an acceptance. Yeah. So I feel like this time has really forced me to be like, I think I was already doing it, but I think I've had to be more in tune with that now that I'm at home and have more time on my hands and can kind of have more time to go, wow, I hate you, Annabelle. Wait, this is ridiculous. Stop thinking like that. And I do think the whole thing with competition instilling um, perfectionism, especially in younger, um, younger dancers is hard because especially in the U S or in North America in general, but I'd say, especially the U S really the main outlet, if you want to be involved with something Irish and dance related is to be a competitive Irish dancer. So in some ways, while I got really involved with competition, I got really involved with it and I stuck it out because I felt like I was supposed to. And so when I, I moved to Ireland when I was 18, um, I had started my um, Bachelor of Arts in Irish Music and Dance, and that's not what I do now, but that's part of the story that can come later. Um, but it was interesting coming to Ireland because it was really the first time where I experienced that you could not compete and still do tons of dancing and be seen as a perfectly legitimate dancer. Because I feel like a lot of times in America, in general, if you're not doing something competitive, why are you doing it at all? If you're not getting um, a prize or something out of it, like why are you doing it? Um, And I didn't feel that in Ireland. So I honestly was very conflicted because so much of what I did was based around going to a fesh, making other people happy, doing it because I felt like I had to. And so suddenly I got to Ireland and I was like, you don't have to do that. You don't even have to do competitive Irish dance. Like you could do um, the older Chano style. You could do more of the other forms of dance that you're learning um, in university. And that was really hard because while like 
you say it out loud and it sounds logical, but when you've grown up and like just for pushing decades of thinking a certain way yeah. and having to wrap your head around that it could be different. I found that really hard to accept that even when I was like, okay, I'm done competing. Let's move on. I still was so afraid of what others thought of me or like, if it's not competitive, like does is it, does it have worth where I know it does, but for there's like this little primal part in my mind, that's like, but that's not what you were taught. Yeah. And yeah, it's this whole identity thing, right? Like who am I without competition? I mean, there's probably a bit of that and there's the whole judgment from other people mm -hmm. and the question, so what are you doing and what are you going to do with that degree? And <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I feel that only what are you going to do with that degree? But I, um, I had a hard time, um, figuring out even in some ways, like how to excel, but still like maintain a healthy relationship with a kind of dance or really any activity, I guess, but really dance in this stage, um, where you're not competitive about it, but like, how do you motivate yourself when there isn't a fesh on the line? Or like, how do you even structure practicing when it's not drills or certain steps? Um, so I found that hard and I found just in general, not having just, when you are a competitive dancer, there's always another competition. You're always working towards a goal. And, you know, uh, with what I do now, yeah, like there can be performances. I teach a lot. Um, but in some ways, the, the stakes don't always feel as high, which I found hard to get used to at first. Yeah. After that high achieving perfectionist. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I don't know if anyone on here, maybe you have watched the show 30 Rock with um, Tina Fey's and that. And there's one episode I think about all the time with stuff like this, where she's put on probation from her job and she thinks she's really happy. Her life isn't stressful now. And she accidentally joins like a woman's like cool hangout group. And it turns out they're a fight club because they all feel like they all didn't have jobs anymore. And they felt kind of um, a lack of fulfillment from not having stress. So they made a fight club. And that's obviously not what you should do. But I always think about that because when I was going through this period of stress, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like I need a fight club. Um, and I don't really know what I do for that competitive urge. I think maybe it just eventually went away. Um, but I really struggled with that at first. I bet. Yeah. Um, okay. And I want to hear a lot more about the transition into away from competition. But before I do, I just want to kind of ask, like, are there any lingering effects that you still feel of like the competitive Irish dance, whether that's on your mental health, physical health, body image, mindset, anything like that? Not really anymore. Actually, if anything, there's... I actually do feel like I'm a place that like acceptance where when all these things were happening to me and I realized what a toxic environment I was in, um, you know, that really, even in hindsight, I was like, I can't believe I allowed like so many people to just like take advantage or treat me in this way. Um, cause I really did have a lot of like what I would classify as emotional and even like honestly physical abuse. And it was a lot to get, um, to be like, wow, I let that happen to me. Or like, I didn't realize that was an issue. Um, like low, low grade, but like still just toxic behavior. Um, but now it's like, I've been away enough where it's not like, I feel like I'm holding grudges. It's not affecting my mental health, but, um, I feel like my experiences with scary things in Irish dance, um, I can use it to help other dancers or, um, I can use it to be a better teacher. Like I know what I don't want to do. Um, I know how I don't want to be treated because I 
was still a student not that long ago, you know, and I wrote a lot of stuff like this down when I was kind of around the time I was quitting and I was like, this is what I would not do as a teacher. I have found the experience I have very formative um, to myself as a person, how I approach situations now and how honestly I treat others, especially my students and children. And I do work a lot with kids. I spend a lot of quarantine. I always do, but I, I spend a lot of quarantine babysitting. And it's like, what do you want to, what kind of person you want to be to the young child? Like, do you want to be the person that like, they have horrible memories of being mistreated or like, do you want to be an actual good influence on their life? And it, it really deeply changed how I approach stuff like teaching and even just interacting with people. So it overall was actually a good experience because I wouldn't be doing any of the stuff that I do now if it wasn't for really having a big realization moment of going, this is wrong. This yeah. is very wrong and I need to go. I think that's a really, I mean, mature way to look at it, you know, rather than just continuing on the cycle of you had teachers that didn't make you feel good. And then you just become a teacher that like continues that cycle and doesn't make other kids feel good. Right. You were able to like break yeah. that cycle, hopefully, and be able to be like, okay, how do I, I it's just a, a nice mature way to look at it. Cause I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of, you know, toxic schools out there in any industry, not just Irish dance, you know, any industry for sure. I mean, I feel like, especially in any sport, you're going to find this. Um, but it was interesting because I used to think it was something that just happened to me. And I was like, maybe I'm just really unlucky. But then the older I got, the more I met dancers who either had similar experiences or honestly way worse experiences. So that's why I say like abuse, but like abuse light, like it was bad. It probably could have been worse. It was toxic if nothing else. But like, you know, a lot of people have had it worse than me with, um, I understand. And I don't think I had a, I mean, there was a lot of bad stuff that happened with me. So that was kind of like, tumbling the word shocking um it's one of those things that it's nice to have solidarity and people who get it but you don't want to have solidarity because that means it's a widespread issue so that um that is upsetting but i also know a lot of new um younger um in the past few years or so teachers that are coming out that i think are going to be a lot better in irish dance and that's always heartening to see i think change is is coming but yeah it was um yeah, there was like a, I feel like a lot of verbal abuse, especially is pretty common in sports, but like Irish dance, or I can remember times when like I had teachers really go ballistic at all of us in class and like leave, like they would just leave because they were mad at like how our dancing looked. And then the next day at class, we were just popsicles. And even then, like my not really aware, but kind of aware brain was like, this is wrong. Are you buying my love? Like, I don't want to be the teacher that yells at you and then tries to buy your love back. I, um... Yeah, I know that a teacher always is going to have authority over their students, but it's how you use that authority and um, channeling into more positive things. Because, yeah, I would love, it, no matter what I do, whether it's dance teaching or teaching or any sort of thing, I would like to be the adult that I didn't have when I was growing up in dance or in any, you know, in any environment, really, in that case. Absolutely. Yeah, and you will. You definitely will. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> if I ever graduate. <laughs> right, right. That's the first step. Um, okay, so let's get into your transition into what you're doing a bit more now. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about your transition and kind of figuring out how to, I don't know, find your own style and figure things out in the Shannon's world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of transitions going on at once, even just aside from switching dance styles. So I stopped competing um, December, late November 2017. 
And that was really where I kind of jumped off the deep end with um, kind of transitioning styles going, okay, we're not going to always cross and turn out our feet. And what if your arms weren't always rigid and by your side? And I found it really hard. <laughs> um, like improvising is hard if you're used to doing steps and doing the same steps for most of the better part of a year um, as it often works for competing. I found it hard because everyone knew me as a competitive Irish dancer. And then to be like, I don't do that anymore. Then it's always, oh, like you're good at Shanos for someone who used to be a competitive Irish dancer, which isn't, is not a compliment all at the same time. Um, like, thank you. I think, I think it, sometimes I think it was well met and sometimes I don't think it was. Um, and uh, so that winter when I quit competing, I, <laughs> I had really wanted to apply to study abroad in Cape Breton and um, they really push studying abroad when you're in your second year in the BA Irish Music and Dance at University of Limerick. That's a good thing. And I wrote an essay. I was like, I'd really like to go, but I was dead set on staying in Ireland because I really did feel like I was finally starting to settle in more than I had and kind of maybe more establishing a group of friends. And I was like, I'll just stay here. But, um, that January, right when I flew back to school, I ended up going with some friends to Austria because we were going to watch other friends have a gig. I wasn't actually there to perform. I was just a roadie, I guess. And um, I ran into some, um, another UL student that I wasn't expecting to see. And he had just gotten back from studying at Cape Breton University for his study abroad. And he was like, why didn't you sign up? You obviously want to do it. Um, go sign up. So I um, sent in an application from the hostel that like that week that I was staying at. I was like, you know what, let's just do it. And um, this is around the time I was playing a lot more music as well. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Kate Breton does have a really strong um, piano tradition that accompanies a lot of the Scottish music that immigrants brought over in the 17 and 1800s. And um, so I was like, yeah, like, let's jump off the deep end for a minute and do something different. And it was really great going to Cape Breton because obviously because I never left. Um, but for more specific reasons, um, well, no one knew who I was. Uh, it was very anonymous. Like, who's Annabelle? Like, she's not even necessarily a full, like, they usually get just music students um, when they get study abroad students from UL. So I was kind of different as I was mostly a dancer. I still felt very new to piano. But um, Cape Breton is a very, uh, they have a very dance positive music culture in that music has never really strayed from the dancing. And there's still obviously tons of like music and dance related things in Ireland, but like, I mean, square dances are everywhere. I feel like all the musicians can dance and that all the dancers can play music to some extent. And um, that I really like that. And it was, there was not like tons of etiquette with dancing where I feel like in Ireland at sessions, you kind of got to know the musicians. You got to know when you want to get up or like kind of what people want to see and what they don't. Whereas in Cape Breton, yes, there are always aesthetic rules when it comes to a dance tradition, but man, they, if you don't get up and dance, they're going to, they're not, they're going to be like, Hey, why weren't you dancing? Or, you know, the musicians stop when the dancer is done and not the other way around. So it was interesting because no one knew me. No one could say, Oh, you're a good dancer for someone who used to compete. And there was just this big, wow. like, they just wanted you to dance because that's what you do. It wasn't, it, it, it was just very relaxed. I like that. And that really drew me in and just how anyone did it. It wasn't a competition. Yeah, you can look and go, okay, maybe that dancer dances more, is maybe has more skills under their belt than others. But like, that wasn't the 
point, everyone did it and everyone wanted you to get up. As long as you could hold a beat, they wanted you to get up. Um, but it, yeah, it's like, it's like, I, I mean, there are aesthetic preferences, but I don't know. It just, it felt like, or feels like, I shouldn't say it in past tense, it feels like there's just a much more openness in general. I certainly been competitive Irish dance because, you know, you're making the big designation between anything competitive and anything not competitive. But, um, right. yeah, I don't know. It's just everyone dances and I like that. <laughs> yeah. And so when you're doing, we'll set it into two distinct styles, which is like the competitive Irish dance and then like more in the channel. So that's what I want to compare is like how it, feels doing it, whether it's in your body or you talk about being more relaxed or just kind of what do you experience when you're doing it? Total mindset change. It's almost, <laughs> I find things work best when I'm not thinking at all. Whereas like, I mean, I sometimes found that truth competing. Like if you rehearse something enough times, if you got up on stage and just really blanked, sometimes that was a good thing. But in general, you're very conscious of, I want to turn out here or cross here or breathe. Did anyone else forget to breathe when they were a competitive dancer? Because I was a big, like, remember to breathe here and here. Right. Um, but when it comes to doing something like Shannos or Kate Breton step dancing, it's what is the what is the music telling me? I'm more like in tune with what the music is. Um, yeah. And my feet happen to be doing stuff to go along right. with that. Um, it starts feeling like you're speaking a language where when you, like right now, I'm speaking, I'm not necessarily planning what I'm going to say next, but it comes out and it's what should come out. Right. See, I think that I wonder if it has to do with trusting your body as well. Definitely. Yeah. You just have to trust that your feet will take you there. Um, I trust for sure because if you get up there and you're nervous, yeah, I mean, it's good if you're nervous to have steps to fall back on, but like, if you're nervous, you're not, you're not going to do it. Like it's not going to come out as naturally. And maybe people in the audience or wherever you are in the crowds aren't going to know that, but you're going to know that because you know yourself and your body well enough to know that. Um, so for sure, you have to be able to trust that if you get up there and you don't know what what's going to come out, you have to trust that the right thing's going to come out or it's not. And you're going to laugh about it later. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So then what would you say since you've been in Cape Breton, how do you, how do you feel just in general mentally and in your body? Like if you have things completely changed, like you sound like you're very happy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy. I, I hope I never have to leave. Um, yeah, everything changed. Honestly. Um, I realized pretty, I kept joking actually before I went to Cape Breton, I was like, just watch, like I'm going to transfer. Like this is ridiculous, but I'll just watch me transfer. And honestly, by October of that semester, I was like filling out the paperwork. I was, it was funny cause I like having a plan. I like seeing goals through to the end, but it was like, I knew it was time to go for some reason when I was there. I was like, no, we're not leaving. I was, I was not leaving. And it's funny because um, it wasn't until maybe after the fact where like I was getting to my second semester at CBU, it was official and was no longer a study abroad student. It was a little more scary because I guess it was starting to catch up with me. Oh, like, well, I left tons of my stuff in Ireland. I didn't say goodbye to anybody really. Like, yeah, I mean, I keep in touch with my friends. I call them, but like there was no goodbye, bye Limerick. Like there was no closure with any of that. Yeah. And it is ready as I was to move on from the goals that I had with that degree or with Irish dance in general. It was kind of a grieving process. Um, maybe perfectionism plays into yeah. that too, where like I had this perfect idealized life with that degree and living in Ireland that I never realized it. It never came to be like it. And it didn't have a big finish. It just sort of ended. Yeah. Um, 
And I do think deep down, I knew it was ending, but, but it wasn't official. So, you know, there was no closure. And, um, so I did find that hard and you know what fixed it? Honestly, I went to Ireland last summer to get my stuff because I, I left all my stuff in my house that my friends were thankfully still renting. Um, got my stuff, saw a bunch of people, did a bunch of things. I had, um, yeah, I had a great time and it was like, I did that and the door felt shut. And I do feel like going through a grieving process was necessary because yeah, no, nobody died, but like something died. Um, it was a loss. Yeah, yeah. Like I lost so, and I gained something that was so much better than I expected to get. But, um, and I would not trade what I got, but there was this weird thing where it was, or watching other friends do the things you thought you would do in Ireland or with that degree. And it, it's bittersweet because there were times I was like, I'm really happy, but it's like, you know, I was like, but I'm happy you're here. So why am I sad? So I found, um, I really needed the closure of going and like shut the door. It was, it, yeah, I, it just needed to happen. But until I got to that stage, it, it was a big grieving process. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you got that closure. Yeah, and maybe it feels like a bit silly, but like I said, it is a loss. Yeah, thank you for sharing all of that, um, so much of your story. Um, so is there anything else you wanna kind of add that we didn't cover that I either forgot or missed or anything you wanna leave the audience with? Um, I guess something I, you think about like your own life, because this could apply to dance, it could apply to anything though. Like what things in your life do you enjoy and what things in your life are you only doing because you feel like you're supposed to? Yeah. Because like, I know I stuck out competitive Irish dance and I had some great teachers along the way and some very good reasons to stick it out. But in general, it, it could have ended sooner. I probably would have been happier had it ended sooner. Um, and I didn't need all that stress over leaving and thinking people would look at me as some sort of quitter or failure. Like at some stage it's your life. Like what, what do you want to do with your life? I know you can't always feasibly do everything you want to do, but I do think, you know, you, there are feasible changes people can make like that. And I'm glad I made that choice, but it took me a long time to get there. For sure. I think that's, yeah. a, that's an amazing lesson for anyone. Like you said, that could apply to just about anything. Like, yeah, it's like that sunk cost fallacy. I think people talk about that a lot in relationships, but I guess dance yes. is my relationship. So that's always how I think of it. Right. You put this much time into it. Yeah. Yeah. And it is weird when I think about how many competitions I went to or like how many hours of training I did. I, I still dance, but like, I don't do that. And it is weird to think about in a way, but sunk cost fallacy is a fallacy. Like go leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're the perfect example of doing that. I mean, I'm proud of you for doing that. And, um, I hope other people in my, your life are telling you that. And I hope you're proud of yourself. For Thank you. I I'm really glad that I, I can be here and like speak to this because there have been times when I've talked about dance before. And sometimes it's like, I'm saying things that I know, like that I know are true, but I don't feel them for myself. But I feel like this is one of the, the times when I'm finally like, no, like this is true for me and for you and for all of us. So it's, it's nice. It feels honest where sometimes other times I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm there yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That's a nice note to leave on is if something's not working for you, leave it and go find something you enjoy more. Right. Definitely. You can, you can only go up from there. That's it. It was quitting was the best thing I ever did. <laughs> All right. Love it. That'll be the, the title of the episode. Quitting was the best thing. Annabelle quitting was the best thing I ever did. I like it. My tagline. Yeah. Your tagline. 
All right, good stuff, Annabelle. So I'm just going to finish with um, a quick, a few quick questions to let the listeners get to know you. So these are called first thing questions. You just say the first thing that comes to mind. I always start with this because it's the most important question. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Okay. Good job. Good, good answer. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, mountains or beach? Ooh. Mm. Oh, that's hard, but maybe mountains. Okay. Uh, beer or wine? Wine. Okay. Vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Facebook or Instagram? Instagram. Um, introvert or extrovert? I feel like I hit in the middle. <laughs> but I'll say, I feel more extroverted these days, so I'll yeah. go with that. Yeah, you're needing it after COVID. You're like, I need to talk to people. Yeah, yeah I was like, I quit being an introvert. We're done here. Right. <laughs> uh, sweet or savory foods? Hmm, savory. Okay. Um, are you a morning or a night person? I'm turning myself into a morning person, but I'm a night owl at heart. Right. <laughs> Can't fight it. Uh, running or swimming? Running. And summer or winter? Summer. Uh, what is your favorite type of tune to dance to? Ooh, probably Strass Bays. Okay, cool. Uh, if you could travel anywhere tomorrow, where would you go without COVID? Cape Breton. <laughs> okay, yeah, I figure that. And uh, do you have a favorite age, like an age you would stay for the rest of your life if you could? Hmm, you know what? Honestly, I'm feeling 22, which is what I'm at right now. <laughs> cool. Um, what is the best thing or your favorite thing that your body allows you to do? Ooh, um, I feel like it allows me to interact and relate with others. I really like like talking to people and then even like in this case, social dancing and stuff like that, like interacting and relating with others. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Um, okay. So do you want to tell people where they can find you social media or anywhere else? Yeah. Um, sure. You can find my Instagram at Annabelle Bougay dance and, um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, but I think it might be Annabelle Bougay dance and music. And I almost never update that page. So don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, and you post a lot of great dance videos and stuff. So people should definitely check it out if they're interested in oh, thank you. seeing, you know, a different style that they've never, never seen or anything. So yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, and sharing your story. Yeah. I'm happy, um, to help anyone who needed to hear that. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you to Annabelle for joining the podcast. Remember new episodes are out every Friday or every other Friday. And we're at buymeacoffee.com slash everybody's story. If you can contribute something. And last thing, I want to just remind you that you are enough and your body is enough and it's perfect and wonderful just the way it is right now. Okay, thanks again for being here and I will see you next Friday.